Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. My name is Zach. I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're listening locally, I would encourage you to check out our website. The church website is calvary316.tv. Our media site is c316.tv. Our Sunday service is at 1030. We're located right off of Highway 316, hence the name Calvary 316. Uh, check us out. If you don't have a church family, we'd love for you to swing through and uh, and visit with us. Uh, The Outlaw Radio Show, we exist, our purpose, our heart, our vision, our mission is to be honest, to be real, to discuss topics in a genuine way, and in the process of that, uh, deconstruct negative perceptions that the world has of Christians. Uh, we fully understand that, that the vast majority of those listening to this show are probably believers, and yet in the in the chance that maybe someone is listening that isn't a follower of Jesus, uh, we want you to hear believers talk about things in a very a very real way. Now, I, I want to start by uh, kind of playing off of that idea for just a minute because have you ever heard the term Christianese? <laughs> Christianese. If you haven't, Christianese is that unique language that Christians, like Christian circles, Christian people, Christian radio, like it's a unique language that Christians use and we understand, but but honestly, it's kind of totally lost on everyone else. Like if you're not a Christian and you hear certain phrases, uh, you'll be left scratching your head while we completely know what we're talking about. Like, let me give you a few very easy examples like the, the phrase washed in the blood of the lamb now as a, as a christian as a follower of christ uh, you know we totally understand what what we're referring to by a the lamb and the significance of the blood and the importance of being washed in the blood but to the world that just seems really weird how about how about the phrase fruit of the spirit the fruit of the spirit like that from a, a very literal standpoint doesn't quite mean what we imply. What about the probably the most common Christian phrase or example of Christian ease? The phrase "to be born again." Uh, even even the Bible affirms how bizarre that phrase is. If if you go back to the Gospel of John, the very the very first person Jesus used that phrase to, talking to Nicodemus, even Nicodemus was kind of left scratching his head. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> by being born again. Like, that's kind of an impossible thing for me to do. H- how about the phrase, guard your heart? Or to be an armor bearer? Or to have a quiet time? I have two kids. I have a, a six-year-old, Quincy, just turned six here Christmas Eve. Theodore is about to be three in February. Quiet time is non-existent. And the Adams household. So, so like, what do we mean when we talk about the importance of a quiet time to the world? It's like, I, I there's nothing quiet. What about baby Christian? Bizarre phrase. Fire insurance. A hedge of protection. What about? And this is kind of a hot button word right now in Christian Christian communities. Missional. Like, don't Google that because the world in the world there's a completely different meaning <laughs> to the word missional. What about the old man? We talk about the old man, the, the person I was before I encountered Jesus, that old life of sin. But we use the phrase the old man. It's a biblical term, but to other circles, the old man literally refers to the old man, the old man on the block, or you know, you're talking about your old man if you're in biker circles. What about asking Jesus into your heart? Seems like impossible, right? Or to be unequally yoked. To have a stumbling block to love on people. Here's my personal favorite: when someone says, "Man, I'm just on, I'm on fire, bro." If you're on fire, uh, you stop, drop, and roll, right? And aside from phrases, Christianese it, it, it manifests in just simple words, right? Like words that we use in Christian churchy circles that are foreign to the culture. Like on rare occasions, will words like justification, sanctification, propitiation, redemption, or atonement ever be used in, in, in normal day conversations? You're not at work dropping sanctification in normal vernacular. It's just the reality. And yet, while you might be able to, you know, to chop up some of this to like the length and the religious connotation of those particular words. 
You know, there is one word uh, that's very rarely used. It, it's 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 interesting. There there is a Christian term that we use as church people that the world doesn't use at all. Like you won't find this in normal speech, and it's going to shock you. But it's the word joy. Now, <laughs> well, most every person possesses a deep longing to be happy. The very notion, though, of there existing like an inner joy that transcends the emotional, like that is, that's a foreign concept. Like you will be, and, and here's here's a test for you. Just go through a day and see how often worldly people or secular people use the word joy. You're not going to find it. It's, it's not used much in daily speech. As a matter of fact, there's actual science, there's data that validates my point. Like the truth, I can prove it, that since the early 1800s, the disappearance of the word joy from our common English lexicon has been real, gradual, but weirdly steady. Have, have you heard of, you know, so you have Google Books, but Google Books has what's called the Ngram Viewer. N-G-R-A-M Viewer. You should, you should Google it. Go online and look. It, it, is, it is absolutely fascinating. And you know, I, I've got to give props real quick. There, most of the time uh, when I stumble across these type of things, it's, it's from millennial conversations with millennials. Um, this one was my dad. Shocking. My dad's almost 60 years old, and uh, he called me. was like, hey, I, I found this thing. You should check it out, and I, I got to tip my cap. It's, it's pretty awesome. So let me explain what it is. Google. Uh, over the last several years, Google has digitalized over 15 million works of literature that date back hundreds of years. 15 million. That is a massive amount of of digitalized data. And so what's happened is that social scientists, uh, in conjunction with, with Google, they've created an algorithm that will allow you to search for a word's use in literature back through time. Like the Ngram viewer of Google Books is so revolutionary that the site uh, when you go and you type in, you kind of explore it, you'll, you'll see it, it acts as a cultural seismograph, literally measuring the trends of society or culture with word usage. Like when you go look at it, the, the graph that it yields is almost identical to that of like an earthquake. Like there's a tremor. You'll see it throughout the years. There are a tremor, a rise, there's a peak, and then a fall, sometimes an aftershock, a secondary rise. It's really, really fascinating. I was talking to my producer, uh, Josh, ab about the Ingram viewer, and, and we were having a lot of fun with it. But he he made I thought a very telling statement. He said he said language is culture is culture, and the two are specifically intertwined. And that's what makes being able to search for words and how they're used throughout the last two hundred years uh, really brilliant. Like let me give you just a couple of, of examples. Like if you if you search the word internet, you'll find that the word internet was never used until it popped onto the scene at the very end of the 1970s, then was very rarely used through the 80s up into the 90s, but has since taken off to dominate our culture. The word atomic. You want to take a guess when the word atomic hit its peak? It would be in the 1960s, and since then, it's tapered off. Use of the word millennials was non-existent until it was first used in roughly 1996, and the frequency of that word, well, it's obviously become very common. The word Google entered our lexicon in 1998. A couple more, just some interesting things, off topic, but interesting. The word porn. Porn, the word porn explodes onto the scene in the 1970s, and from that point forward, it just takes off. It's like a rocket when you look at the graph. Additionally, uh, the phrase gay marriage or the word transgender, do you realize both of those? They don't exist. Like they're never used at all until the 1990s. And then when you look at the graph, I mean, it 
takes a dramatic jump in just 20 years. The phrase gay marriage in the word transgender was not used at all before the 90s in our English lexicon. Now, I say all that to say that I was kind of curious about the word joy. Like, how has the word joy been used since 1800? Now, if you search the word joy, you're going to notice that it has this peak. So it's always been used, but it has a peak in the 1830s. But from that point forward, the word joy has experienced like this steady decline all the way up to the year 2000, the turn of the millennial. Like the truth, you can see it on the graph, documented, that the word joy is literally no longer as popular or as used today as it was 150 years ago. Now, if you're a student of history, uh, you want to take a guess as to why the word joy peaked in the 1830s of all time? You can attribute that to the Second Great Awakening, this incredible revival that was taking place uh, in America and in England. And yet, though the decline of the use of this word joy has been real, what blows my mind is that there is an unexpected shift in that word's usage recently. As a matter of fact, if you expand the search of the word joy from 1800, not to 2000, but to 2008, you're going to notice that from 2000 to 2008, there is a dramatic and sharp uptick, which, which leads to a question. Like, why in the world, while there's been this, 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 this decline in the use of the word joy from, from 1830 to 2000, why in the world is now there a dramatic uptick over the last, let's say, two decades. Like, what? why the renewed interest in joy? And I want to share a theory. I am convinced a culture that has afforded almost every license for people to pursue individual happiness, which is our culture, right? The license for people to do whatever it is they believe will make them happy, that, that happiness is our ultimate pursuit, a culture that has done that has in turn left that society, the people in that society, absolutely empty. Like though we've we've bought into the idea that happiness is the ultimate pursuit of man. If we're going to be if we're going to be really honest, many people who pursue happiness discover that once that emotion, that euphoric uh, feeling is achieved, what only then results is, is misery, that there's a decompression. Now, I, I can't speak to bygone eras. I'm 34 years old. I, I can only speak to today's culture. But the more and more and more I rub shoulders with secular people, the more evident it is to me how deeply dissatisfied and miserable the people in America really are. Like, like if you if you strip away the superficial, not just the, the water cooler talk, but you but you really plug into people's lives, you're going to see how aside from the the smile, people are genuinely lonely. And depressed. Like proof of this reality? Like look no far, far, further than, than how many people are using antidepressant drugs. Like a, a, new, a new report that cited in August 15th at an article in Time, uh, citing a study from the National Center of Health Statistics, shows that from 2011 to 2014, 13% of Americans, 12 years and older, take antidepressants. That's one in six. People are curious about joy because what the world is actually offering them is nothing but depressing. Hi, my name is David Guzik, and I'm a friend of Zach and the entire team at Outlaw Radio. One of the things I like most about Outlaw Radio is Zach's desire to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on their own. The sad reality is too many Christians don't know what they believe, yet alone why they believe what they do. 
This is why, in addition to Outlaw Radio tackling the tough topics you might not hear at church on Sundays, their desire is to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this process, Zach wanted me to let you all know of two free resources essential for any serious Bible student. Aside from my full Bible commentary available at EnduringWord.com, the resources you can access at BlueLetterBible.org will truly transform the way you study the Bible. Aside from their treasure trove of free commentaries, BlueLetterBible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it easy to dive into the original languages behind a biblical text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of Scripture, check out EnduringWord.com as well as BlueLetterBible.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about this term joy and how the reality is that it's kind of a Christianese term. Like we use it a lot in Christian circles, but you're not going to hear the word joy used a lot in daily speech. It's just the truth. If you use the Google Ngram viewer, you'll see that from 1830, the Great Awakening, uh, to 2000, the use of the word joy throughout literature, 15 million different documents, uh, has a steady decline until 2000. Because from 2000 to 2008, joy begins to have this dramatic uptick. And, and I left off the last segment with, with asking the question, why is there seemingly a renewed interest in joy? My theory is that a culture that has afforded almost every license for people to pursue individual happiness has in turn left that society completely empty. And the reality is that you can see this in the incredible use of antidepressant drugs. From 2011 to 2014, according to the National Center for Health Statistics, 13% of Americans 12 years and older said they took antidepressants in the last month. That's one in six Americans. And that number is up 11% from 2005 and has increased a twofold from the 6.8% number recorded in 1990. People are depressed. And why is this? Now, I don't want to get overly philosophical, but I am of the opinion that evidence suggests that a culture where all things are presented as being true ends up being a society whereby nothing is true and life ends up being perceived as meaningless. If everything is true, (laughs) then nothing is true and does life have a point? You see, the The progressive challenge of traditional norms over, let's say, the last 60 years with the the pop cultural exhortation to just do whatever you believe will make you feel good, coupled with the normalization and indoctrination of the theory of man's biological evolution, these three things, the challenge of traditional norms, just pursue whatever feels good with evolution, it's fostered a new generation that is grappling, seriously grappling with fundamental questions, basic questions such as meaning and purpose in life. And here's the reality. If you examine the trends of history, the philosophical trends of history, you're going to discover that anytime a society exchanges absolutes for relative truths, there ends up being one of three logical results. And my point is that when you exchange absolute truth, relativism isn't the destination. Relativism is just a bridge to one of three destinations within a society. One, you'll find once you exchange absolutes for relatives in the category of truth, people, people become nihilistic. It's one of the results. Nihilism. People give up hope. You see this in millennial um, millennial culture. And it's when a, when a culture gives up hope that there's an apathy and it results in a chaos. Secondly, if it's not nihilism, like you'll find that people end up doubling down and they grow more narcissistic, whereby self-consumption trumps the greater good. Or there is a third people engage in a new, a renewed quest for meaning, for purpose. Now, I don't know if you've, if you've had your, your, your head in the sand, but there's no question 
no question at all, that we absolutely see elements of these first two logical results in, in our society today. Once again, when you exchange absolutes, absolute truth, you reject absolute truth, relativism, relativism is not the end. It's just the bridge to a destination. And the reality is that recent pop culture has demonstrated a very weird and interesting love affair with nihilism. Just Google. Google nihilism and pop culture or, or Google nihilism and Jay-Z. There's a book that's been written recently. Nihilism within, within movies and music and film. A Jay-Z music video has very uh, overt and, and specific nihilistic references and some of the, the jackets and, and things that are being worn in it. But aside from that, like once again, if it's not nihilism, then it's, it's narcissism. In 2016, let's be real, let's be honest. I don't know where you come from politically, but but the truth. In 2016, the selfie generation elected a reality TV star as president. Like we have parts of our culture is, is nihilistic, but there are other parts that are just totally self-consumed, narcissistic. But I, I want to give a little hope because I am convinced, and, and this is as we get into this new year, I, I'm I'm absolutely convinced that people are longing for something more. If, if I want to take that idea one step further, like I'm actually convinced that we could be at the precipice of maybe a great spiritual awakening. And I hope we are. I, I hope you hope that we are. Like it can't be an accident, right? That for the first time in 150 years, our society's interest in the word joy is making a resurgence. And, and, and let me give you one more word that you can you can analyze through Google Ingram Viewer uh, that, that also validates this point. If you search the phrase Holy Spirit from 1800 to 2008, you will not only see, you'll, you'll not only notice a peak also during the Great Awakening of the 1830s, but you'll see an interesting upswing in recent years concerning the Holy Spirit. Like, I really do believe, like I'm convinced, that the trends of the last few decades, yes, they have produced not a nihilistic outlook and, and, and a greater uh, narcissism within our society, but I also believe that it's created the framework within America, within our culture, that we might just be the stage might just be set for a fresh move of God's spirit. <laughs> Back to the word joy. Joy. You know, joy is it's such an interesting thing because it's so hard to define. Like if I were to ask you to define the word joy, you'll have a hard time with it. Like it's hard to, to quantify in a definition. And yet it's clearly seen like you see joy. Like, you know joy when you see it, but you have a hard time saying exactly what it is. Like, is joy just extreme happiness or or does joy transcend the emotional? And if that's the case, like, how in the world do I get joy? Now, the first, the first episode of the Outlaw Radio Show, two weeks ago, we aired the episode, the interview that I did with Aaron Stoffel. If you, if you missed that episode, I would encourage you to go to uh, Outlaw radio.org click on the podcast go to itunes or google play uh, download it for free listen to aaron's story it, it's radical it's challenging this mom and her husband john aaron and john and their three kids just going out for a a, a stroll in a park crossing a bridge when a madman opens fire john dies olivia dies aaron is shot three times the other two kids escape the fallout, struggling with life. It, it, is, it is Aaron's story. It's a powerful testimony of, of the sufficiency of Jesus in the crisis. But you know, there was an aspect to her story that, that has really stuck with me. Like apparently, if, if, if you recall, in order for Aaron to attend the funeral and because of the severity of her own gunshot wounds, her doctors decided that it would be best to take her by ambulance 
to to the venue for the funeral and then wheelchair her. She couldn't walk to the front row. And then as the, the service is going on and as they begin to play John and Olivia, her 11-year-old daughter's favorite worship songs, to everyone's shock and dismay, what happens? Erin stands up from her wheelchair and with raised hands and through incredible sobs, what does she do? She begins to worship Jesus for his continued goodness. Like, what is joy? Yeah, it's hard to define, but you can identify it. I'll tell you what joy is. Joy is what motivates a grieving woman who's experienced such incredible tragedy as the loss of her husband and her daughter, who is herself in immense pain. Joy is what causes that woman who has no idea what her future looks like to stand up passionately and worship God for his goodness. That is joy. I might have a hard time defining it, but I see it and I see it there. And to the world, to the world that is a mystery. Joy is a mystery. How do you explain how Aaron Stoffel can get up and worship God like that? Or for that matter, the Apostle Paul, right? The letter of Philippians, a a letter to the Philippians from a Roman jail about joy. Like, it's unexplainable. It's so unexplainable that maybe that's actually the point. Like, maybe joy is supposed to be otherworldly. That, that joy is supposed to be radical. That joy is designed to transcend what is, what is normal and natural. Like when we see joy manifest, whether you're a Christian or not, you understand that it is bubbling forth from the depths of a well much deeper than just the physical. You see, joy, friend, especially in grief and in pain, it intends to show out as the visible evidence of much larger spiritual realities, which is why the Apostle Paul, Scripture, the Bible places such an emphasis on our Christian joy and ability then as Christians to rejoice regardless of what we face. Thanks, Zach. That's a really good way to look at joy, something that's sort of out there in the ether. We, we can see it, we understand it, but we can't always really describe it. Pastor Zach will be back with more about joy in the second half of the Outlaw Radio Show. Here's Zach with more about joy on the Outlaw Radio Show. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about joy. Joy, it's so hard to define it, to, to, to qualify it in that sense, but you see it. It's kind of an unexplainable thing, which is kind of the point. Like joy is to be radical or otherworldly supernatural. Joy intends to show out as the visible evidence of a much larger spiritual reality, which is why the Bible all over the place emphasizes Christian joy and our ability to rejoice regardless of whatever trial or circumstance we're facing. You see, the truth is that there is a powerful testimony demonstrated when we possess joy and we rejoice in the midst of trial and tribulation. Like like Aaron. When people see Aaron's reaction, how she's able to possess joy, how she's able to rejoice, knowing what she's gone through, like her response glorifies God. And your response glorifies God. In prepping for this show about joy, I, I ran across a quote that was really challenging. David Guzik He said this, he said, it's a duty for the Christian to exude joy. A chronic lack of joy is simply a poor witness. Now, I'll admit that when I first heard him say this, I was a bit taken back. And yet, the more and more I've considered this point, you know, I think I agree. Isn't it true that Satan, I don't talk a lot about Satan because he's not all that important. 
Greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. We, we overemphasize him. And yet the truth is that Satan really only peddles knockoffs. Like, you know what a knockoff is? A knockoff is a cheap imitation of the original. I have a, a pair of Ray-Bans, like the classic Wayfarers. Love them. My wife has a pair. I have a pair. We've had, a, we've had these glasses for almost 10 years. Just a classic sunglass. But you can go, whether uh, you're in a, a thrift shop or a secondhand store, uh, you, you, you can find uh, not Ray-Bans, but they look almost identical, and they're, you, they're called Fay-Bans. Like, it's a knockoff, a cheap imitation of the original. Here's my point. The Bible says that we as Christians will be known by our love one for another. So what does the world do? The world presents its own version of love at a, at a cheaper price. It's a knockoff. The Bible says that, that in Christ, we as believers will have a peace that would surpass even our own understanding. So what does the world do? The world promises an imitation version of, of peace at a discount. But this is the irony. Though the world can offer knockoff versions of love and peace, here's the truth. The world offers no substitute for this thing we call joy. Like, as a matter of fact, the world will do everything it can to facilitate happiness. But as mentioned earlier, it offers nothing but pills aimed at numbing pain when life takes an unexpected turn. Like, like here's the challenge. If the world will know the Christian by your love for one another, the world will see Jesus when joy manifests from your life regardless of whatever circumstance you come to face. Joy, our joy, is our greatest witness. And here's why. The world literally has no alternative. Has no alternative. You know, this might sound controversial, but I don't think joy, as the Bible defines it, can exist outside of the Christian experience. And here's why. If you study joy, you're going to find that joy, joy manifests from two things. It manifests from God's grace that has been demonstrated to us, to us through Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Two things, God's grace and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see, joy is fundamentally designed to manifest in your life as you continually experience the grace of God. The, the reality that Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for you on Calvary to pay for your sins so that you might be saved, that alone should should give you joy or a reason to rejoice. The fact that your relationship with God is not based on your performance, but Jesus's. That it's how you're found in Christ, not apart from Christ, that determines your salvation or God's work in your life. You see, God's grace not only changes everything in regards to your, your vertical relationship with God, but grace then, as a byproduct, changes everything everything and how you experience the world around you it yields joy i have a joy no matter what's going on around me because i'm good with god there is something much deeper that anchors me you see god's grace it establishes a much deeper and unwavering basis for joy in your ability to rejoice regardless like the present life that's been afforded to you by Jesus should place any trial or tribulation or difficulty or circumstance into a context. Like no temporal hardship should have the power to rob you of an eternal reality. God's joy. Now, now I want to I want to qualify that because because the truth is that nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to be happy. In Philippians chapter three, Paul says, "My, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord." It's a command to rejoice where? Not in circumstance, situation, trial, tribulation, but in Jesus. That Jesus alone, the grace demonstrated to us, is enough for us to have joy. But we're never told to, to be happy. Like, now it's true. Joy can yield happiness. But the reality is this thing we refer to as joy, it transcends the emotional. 
Why? Because it springs forth, according to the Bible, from the spiritual. Think of it this way. Well, we obviously understand joy to be a state of being. To be glad, that's, that's literally what rejoicing means. It means to be glad. To demonstrate joy. We understand joy. It's a state of being. It's not an emotion, feeling glad. It's not an action, doing gladness, if you could do such a thing. But we should consider, like, where does joy actually originate? Is joy, for example, is joy something that just magically happens? Or is it like an epiphany? You're just walking along and boom, joy just hits you. It's euphoric. Is joy uh, based in just purely the emotional? Is it, is, it, is it a personality trait or a decision of the will? Like, do you choose, as you'll hear some pastors say, make a choice to, be, to, to rejoice, to have joy? You know, I don't think joy originates in any of those ways. It's not an epiphany. It doesn't magically happen. It's not just a personality trait or an emotion or a decision. Joy. Think of it this way. If joy is the manifestation of grace, okay? And even the word grace in the Greek, it means to rejoice, to have joy. Joy is manifested from grace. So if joy is the manifestation of grace, and grace is a gift given through Jesus by God to be received, not earned or manufactured, then isn't it only logical that joy must also be a gift imparted by God? You see, the truth is that joy is much more than an emotion because it's a direct manifestation of what? Of God's grace and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's a spiritual thing and not an emotional one. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Romans 15, verse 13, may the God of, of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And you become followers of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Even in Acts 13, verse 52, Luke, he describes the disciples in Perga following Paul's departure this way. He says they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You see, here's my point. Scripturally speaking, joy and the Holy Spirit come hand in hand, which subsequently makes joy something completely intrinsic to Christianity and is why it's such a powerful witness of God and his work in someone's life. Like even Urban Dictionary, if you search Urban Dictionary as a definition for joy, you're going to find one of two things. Joy is either the name of a kind woman or it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Now before we, we carry this idea to its con- conclusion... I do want, when we come back from this break, to explain why it's then so dangerous when we allow joy to be relegated as nothing more than than an emotional, when we just place it onto the emotional plane. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on the Outlaw Radio Show. One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about joy and how joy is otherworldly. That when the world sees our joy, they scratch their head. It's supernatural. They want to know more, which is why I think in a culture sold a lie about happiness is now pursuing something deeper. Is there something that transcends the emotional? And the truth is, is that it is joy. Joy being produced from, from God's grace and the indwelling of God's spirit. And I closed the last block by saying that, that this, is, this is why it's so dangerous when we allow joy to be relegated to just the emotional plane. You see, if joy being a fruit of the Spirit ends up being nothing more than an emotional happiness, this is what results. The real emotions then of sadness and sorrow and depression end up being seen as evidence of a spiritual problem. 
And aside from the fact that this convolution will hyper-spiritualize emotions that it shouldn't, that the Bible doesn't, most tragically, when this occurs, church life gets relegated as being nothing more than superficial. Like, instead of real people being honest about the things they're emotionally dealing with, people put on a happy-go-lucky Jesus glow face out of fear of being perceived as less spiritual if you're honest that you're dealing with things. Let, let, let me prove that we're all guilty of this by, by just one question. When was the last time you came to, a, came to church and, and someone asked you, Hey, brother, how you doing? And your response was, was something like this. Truthfully, man, life, life is terrible right now. It stinks, and I'm really depressed about it. Like, when was the last time you answered someone honestly? You see, it's, it's much easier to say, to, to say what? Man, I'm good, man. Or bro, I'm blessed. Or to pull out like a Dave Ramsey line of like, uh, you know, I'm doing better than I deserve. Like, yes, I understand. You don't want to unload on someone who's just trying to be friendly. But if we're, if we're going to be honest, one of the reasons that we shy away from full transparency with the emotions that we're dealing with is that we don't want our emotional struggle to be judged as a spiritual one. Now, on a side note, uh, if you don't want an honest answer from someone, don't ask them how they're doing. <laughs> Just as a side note. You see, sadly, it's this misunderstanding of the fundamental difference between the emotional and the spiritual that creates a, a climate, a church climate, where it's safer to be fake than it is to be real. Never forget this. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, not the fruit of the Spirit being emotional merriment. You know, I, I think this is a great tragedy, that we forget that the Bible says that there's a time to weep and a mourn, but we don't give time for that in church. Like the Bible's clear that good people struggle with depression. That just because you wake up on the wrong side of the bed or find yourself in a funk doesn't mean that there's some weird thing going on with you and Jesus. Like if you just look through the Bible, David was often in despair, was troubled. Elijah was discouraged and weary. Job suffered loss, was paralyzed by it. Moses was gripped with bouts of insecurity and heartache. Jeremiah struggled with loneliness and insecurity. <laughs> In actuality, Isaiah 53, verse 3, describes Jesus this way, as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Just search the Bible for these words. Downcast, brokenhearted, troubled, miserable, despairing, mourning. These words are everywhere, all over the Bible. You see, hopelessness and emotional struggles... The Bible addresses them and never once are they presented as being emblematic of a spiritual problem. And yet, this is what's amazing about joy transcending the emotional and being rooted in the spiritual. This is why this is important. You see, if joy is not just an emotion, but it's something based in God's grace and the indwelling of His Spirit, even when I'm struggling in the emotional realm, <laughs> I can still possess joy. You can possess joy. You see, if joy isn't based in the circumstantial or the emotional and physical and instead flows from the spirit, the spiritual, it's possible for you to possess joy and even rejoice when you're feeling down. Joy. Since joy comes from God's grace and His spirit, the truth is that there's nothing in the emotional or the physical that can rob you of what God has given you. He has given you joy. If you have no reason to possess joy, no reason to rejoice, other than the fact that Jesus has saved you and you've been filled with God's Spirit, you have enough. Now, before we run out of time today, I do want to say something, and this is going to be a very difficult pill for some to swallow. It is simply inconsistent. And for that matter, a poor witness for a person who's experienced God's grace and been filled with his spirit to be deeply miserable and constantly sour because joy manifests in your life through a working of God's spirit yielded by the grace afforded to you in Jesus. Going back to David Guzik's uh, comment about, about a lack of joy being a poor witness, it's the truth that if you, if you lack joy or you lack the ability to rejoice in just the Lord, if nothing else than just in Jesus, 
I hope you know that that is an indicator of one of two things. It's not an, if you're feeling depressed or you're dealing with this, you're dealing with that. Like, that's not, like, let's get out of the hyper spiritual realm. Joy is not an emotion. The fruit of the spirit is not an emotion. Thus, it can't be robbed by an emotion. But if you lack joy, friend, it, it tells me one of two things about you. Either one, you've never experienced God's grace and you've never been filled with God's spirit because those two things do yield joy or two, you've lost sight of God's grace and are presently failing to rely on the Holy Spirit. If the latter happens to be you, you're like, man, I, I'm miserable and I don't have joy. I don't even know if that's a thing. Like if, if, if you're thirsty for more than this world has to offer, if you find yourself like just enslaved to this pursuit, this miserable cycle Pursuing what makes you happy, finding that happiness, that happiness yielding to misery, leading you on a new quest for happiness, achieving that happiness, finding yourself back to miserable. If that cycle has just got you to this point where you're like, there has to be more to life than this. If you're not full-blown nihilistic and giving up hope, and you've kind of rejected the self-consumption of narcissism and you're like there has to be more to life than what this world offers me friend i want you to know <laughs> there absolutely is you see god's grace not only changes everything in regards to you and god but it is then the indwelling of the spirit of jesus in your heart that will transform how you experience everything this world has to offer whether it's the highs or the lows why settle for a knockoff a cheap imitation when you can have the original and not just the original but you can have the original for free at no additional cost you see the knockoff requires more from you than god's grace i'm reminded of 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 a passage in john chapter 7 we read that on the last day the great day of the feast jesus stood and cried out saying this if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then, and then John, the gospel writer here, he, he adds this, this caveat. He says, but this Jesus spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. See, Jesus promises, he promises living water, from the indwelling of, of his spirit in our lives, taking that old heart and replacing it with his. But I, I, I do want to say before we run out of time that if, if you're a believer and you have experienced God's grace and you have been filled with his spirit, but you find yourself today just miserable, can I ask, is not the incredible grace that God has already demonstrated to you and that while you were a sinner, Christ died not only to save you from sin, but to fill you with his spirit. Is that not such an amazing enough reality that you shouldn't be stirred up from your sorrow or raised up through your despair or moved out of your pain and grief or even from your depression, moved to your feet in joy and in worship, rejoicing? As Paul, as Paul says, rejoice if anything else, in the Lord. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. If you liked what you heard, I want to encourage you to do two things. First, contact your local radio station and say that you're thankful that they're carrying this show in your community. But then also go visit our website, outlawradio.org. You can access our podcast from the site. Uh, all of our episodes, past and present, are available on iTunes and Google Play. Once again, I'm Zach Adams. Be filled with the joy of the Lord, and I hope you join me again next time, uh, this time next week, for the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. 
As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you if you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.